You're listening to Wild Inside. I'm Imogen. And I'm Sue. Welcome to our very first episode of this new podcast. You might already know Imogen and I. We've uh, spoken together on my podcast, Stories of an Unschooling Family, quite a few times. And I think that Imogen always has some very interesting things to say. So I have convinced her to do a podcast with me uh, maybe every couple of weeks. And we're going to be discussing all those wonderful creative ideas that unschoolers have. Now, of course, we're adult unschoolers, but we're going to have a lot of interesting conversations, I think. Imogen, what do you think? I'm sure we are. What are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about creativity. We're going to be discussing questions like, how do people become creative? How can you help children become creative? I think along the way we're going to be talking a lot about music and maybe writing and art. Even maths can be a creative subject. What do you think? Oh, definitely. So let's go back to the very first question. You know, we've noticed that some people are more creative than others, aren't they? Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely, definitely. So what do you think makes people creative? I think what makes some people more creative than others is the way they think, the way they've been taught to think the way they see the world differently to other people. A lot of that comes down to how they were taught as a child and the sort of people that surrounded them when they were growing up, sort of education they got. All those sort of factors are involved in becoming a creative person. Now, we're all creative in our family, aren't we? Yes, I would like to think so. (laughs) I think that a good example, do you think a good example of other people being creative sparks people's creativity? Oh, yeah. So seeing other people be creative and think creatively shows you the possibilities and starts you on your own creative path. You see one possibility and then you think of another one. Having that creative example in your life is one of the great ways to be led to be a more creative thinker. So other people can inspire us to be more creative. Yes, that's right. Now, there's certain subjects that we think of as creative subjects, don't we? They're ones that are headed under the heading of creative arts, like music and uh, visual arts. Yes? Yes. Do you think that that's the only way to be creative? Oh, no. In fact, you can have those subjects and be very proficient in them and not be creative at all. So how can you be um, an artist and not be creative? If you're an artist and doing art, you can follow the techniques and you can do the still life paintings or whatever and have no creative vision. The best artists are the ones who have their own style, who see the world in a different way. But if you haven't got a style that you're just reproducing with perfect technique what you see in front of you just because it's there, that's not thinking creatively. That's being able to paint but not think. So I was really interested in your last, or that you're still doing it, uh, university unit, which you're doing professional writing and publishing, but what actually you were doing was art. Yes, that's right. So what, what's the unit called? It's called Art and Creativity. And what, what was it trying to teach you as a writer? As a writer, I think it's trying to teach me to think about things differently, especially less literally. You can be told that one of the assignments was to make a sculpture, and you could be as imaginative as you like. And my problem was, I'm a very literal person when it comes to art. But what it was trying to get us to do was to think more creatively and think of how you can interpret um, a piece of art differently to encompass emotions or events into a piece of art, but not just have a block of stone in some highly recognisable shape. 
So we were talking about the different artworks around town, weren't they? We had to go and you had to photograph them all and I came with you to have a look. Yes. But there is a difference between a block of wood or a block of stone and actually an artwork. Yes, that's right. A lot of um, what would be counted as sort of artwork in our area appears just to be a piece of stone with a plaque on it, which has no creativity to it, no real thought behind it, it's simply there as a lasting memorial of some event that most people have forgotten. So tell me about some of the good artworks that you know that tell a story or they are very creative. Well, one of the most interesting ones um, I've seen in my course was actually photography made into a sculpture and it used photographic effects and was then pasted onto a set of stairs and what it looked like was there was some great big monster under the stairs pulling them up like a set of Venetian blinds and peering out with huge hands. And it was supposed to conjure up the memory of what it was like to be a child and climbing stairs or getting into bed at night in the dark and always worrying that there was going to be a hand come out and grab your ankle. Some of the sculptures that I've seen, I have no idea what they mean whatsoever and they don't mean much to me. When I hear the story behind them, all of a sudden, I'm thinking differently about them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. I can see things in them that I didn't see before, and all of a sudden it has become a piece of artwork instead of uh, that sculpture that doesn't mean anything to me at all, yeah? Yes. Creative artwork is using some sort of ideas, some storytelling. It has a meaning? Yes, that's right. Best, the best sort have some meaning behind them. I think everybody recognises that art is a creative subject, yeah? Oh, yes. But what about maths? A lot of people don't uh, associate the word creativity with maths. No. Maths is probably the one subject that everybody thinks is the opposite of creative. Yeah, and a lot of people just teach it step by step, don't they? And they don't think too much about it. I was uh, actually thinking about how the, ide the mathematical ideas have developed and we would never have the maths that uh, we understand as we understand it today if somebody hadn't thought creatively about it years ago. Yes? Yes. And people are still thinking creatively about maths. You know, there's people that are trying to find the ne next Mersenne num uh, prime number. And a lot of other people think that they're absolute fools for spending all that time on the computer trying to find a number that might not exist. But it's grabbed their uh, imagination. And uh, either girls and I have done a lot of reading about these numbers and, yes, grabbed our imagination as well. And when I try and introduce maths to our younger girls, I'm not using textbooks or online courses. I really want to give them the sense of the how maths is a creative subject. So I'm approaching it in a totally different way to the way I was taught at school. So all subjects can be approached creatively. Yes, that's right. But your big subject is uh, music. Yes, it is. And I think everybody rec would recognize that that is a creative subject. But we had, were having an interesting conversation the other day, and uh, you were pointing out a few things about music, which really made me think. So if someone can play the piano, are they creative? Not necessarily. Um, because being able to play the piano is basically being able to press one key after another. The simple act of being able to play a piano is not in itself creative. It's being able to think creatively around the piano and around the pieces of music and interpret the notes on a sheet of paper and be able to 
do something with them to make them come alive. That is the creative part of being able to play the piano. If a person can play a piano piece with perfect、uh, technical skills, is that the height of musicianship? You know, of being a, a musician. No, being able to play with perfect technical skill is not what makes you a great musician. Being able to play with great feeling and find the spirit of a piece is what makes a musician good. When I've done music exams in the past, one of the things that I've always been told is that what the examiners are looking for is not perfection. They're not expecting perfection from the students who come in to be examined. What they're looking for is a musician who can find the spirit of a piece and then convey it to the listener. And that's the real skill behind being able to play. Now I'm not a, a, a pianist. I don't play any instrument. I can't even sing. But one thing I do enjoy is listening to music. And I've had a lot of opinions that the best sort of music for children to listen to, as they're growing up, as they're being educated, is classical music. And some people go as far to give their children a diet of classical music alone. And I think most people would think that that was a pretty good musical education. In particular, I think people want to steer their children away from modern music. They feel it's not of、uh, the same quality as classical music, and not worth、um, finding anything about it, not learning about it. Yes. Well, the first thing I w- I'd like to say about that is when you think about classical music. Once upon a time, Mozart was the popular music of the time. He was modern music. When you want your child to think creatively, especially about music, you need to give them a range of music because classical music is great to listen to and great to play. But if you want to be creative with music now, you've got to know what's happening now. That doesn't mean that there isn't a place for classical music. In fact, there are some great people who are still incorporating classical music into what they do.、Um, the musical group. The piano guys, in particular, have done some amazing pieces where they'll take modern music and mix it with classical music. So they've taken Vivaldi's "Winter" and combined it with the popular song "Let It Go" from Frozen, or they've redone Beethoven's symphonies, at least one of them, for a more modern audience. So they're taking old ideas and they know what's happening in the modern times, so that they can combine the two. To create something that is still beautiful, like a classical piece, and appeals to modern people, and fits in in our time now, and is ever so creative. So they're building on the classical music. They're applying their own ideas to it. Exactly, they've been inspired by both. And really, if you're going to be creative now, you've got to know what's happening. You've got to have a range of ideas coming in because the classical music has been done. Lots and lots of musicians have built up the classical music. That's not to say. There is not still great inspiration from it. The piano guys have proven that, but a lot of other people have already built off that, and there are a lot more people, especially nowadays, to build off again. You need to have all these this kind of music from a range of different genres and cultures and time periods, and listen to them all so that you know what's happening and you can be inspired by the works of lots of people. So have a great mix of ideas there. Exactly. Someone once said, and I can't remember who, that you can't create in a vacuum. You've got to have the ideas coming in, and you can't just have one set of ideas. You've got to have lots of ideas, lots of inspiration from different places.
So someone once said to me that there will never be any more great composers. That I don't know who she was talking about at the time, but who do you think it was possibly? Who who would be the pinnacle of composers in the classical period? We're probably thinking Beethoven, Mozart, Bach a little bit earlier. Composers like that. They're the composers that most people think of as the great composers. Yes, and so this person said to me that she didn't think that there would ever be any other composers comparable to them ever again. What do you think of that idea? I don't think it's true, and if it was true, it would be a very sad fact to think that we've reached the pinnacle of what music can be in what the 1700s. What people think of as great music. Is is often in the past. We don't think of modern music now as being great music because it's just popular music. It's what's there. It's what we know now. And in hindsight, we can see what is great music from those time periods. But when you think about it, in the future, what are people going to be thinking about our music today? Probably they're going to think that some of the songs or some of the music is great music, and that there will have been great、um, composers. But they just won't be composers such as Mozart and Beethoven, and what we today think of as great composers. We've moved on from that. Exactly, music now is very different to what it was then. It's moved on. It's developed. It's changed. It's got different styles. So you can't expect the composers now to be like Beethoven and Mozart. And true, there will never be another Mozart. But that doesn't mean to say that there can't be another great composer making beautiful music that will stand the test of time and be remembered two hundred years from now. I'm always smile a little at the description of at the musical period that we're probably in the modern. Yes, modern. How long is the modern period going to go on for? Didn't the modern period start last century? Yes, modern period sort of twenty twentieth twenty first century music. What happens when we get to the twenty second century? So there's going to have to be a change of name, isn't there? <laughs> yes. So、uh, yes. So some of the、uh, we were talking about some of the modern musicians the other day. Can you remember what we were talking about? About the、uh, there is a great. A wealth of、um, talent in the the at the twenty the nineteen hundreds wasn't there. Yes, there's actually a lot of musicians, especially in the early part of the nineteen hundreds, that we think of as classical musicians, but are actually more modern and who are, even if you think of them as modern, absolutely amazing composers. I'm thinking people like Debussy here, who have some of the most beautiful emotional music, catching on from the tail end of the Romantic period, and it's beautiful and it paints a sort of Picture and it's emotional, and it really gets to the、um, listener. But it's modern music, and when you say that the great composers are all from the classical period, from three, four hundred years ago, you're leaving out an awful lot of amazing musicians. I mean, Prokofiev, I believe, is another quite modern composer. I mean, people like him have got beautiful music. How can listening to them? How can you say that there is never going to be another great composer? Even so, that period of time is really quite dis- is getting further and further away from us now, isn't it? We've moved on from that. Exactly. So that's not really modern anymore. No, we get to that point now where that's achieved respectability. Yes. Yes. Because at the time of the impressional、uh, impressionism with the art as well, that wasn't well accepted. No. Um, especially when when impressionism came in, it was the sort of ideas were radical. People were thinking. About music, in the same way people were thinking about art, it was all the impressionist era, and everybody was thinking about well the impression of music rather than anything else. And it wasn't the way things were used to being done. And of course, 
There was a lot of creative thinking going on there, but in that time, it wasn't always, you know, considered respectable music. So I'm thinking here about impressionism. There, there was a group of artists, wasn't there? A group of musicians. They all、uh, fed off each other. They all had something in similar. They got together and shared ideas. Yes. Now that、uh, leads to collaboration. How does that affect creativity? A cl- collaboration can only build creativity. You get a group of creative people together, a group of musicians, a group of writers, and one person has one idea, another person has another. You share your ideas. Something else grows from that, and the creativity in that group will just grow and grow as you build off each other. I think people that are working in such a group they value what they're doing, each other's work, don't they? Yes. And you might have、uh, people outside who think they're a bit、um, strange. Their ideas, but within the group, you're encouraging each other to keep.、Uh, you're talking the same language. Yes, it's very important to have people around you that talk the same language, really. And we find that at home, don't we? With our writing, we all talk the same language. We know what it's like to write novels, and、uh, other people outside the family might think that we're a bit strange, spending so much time on our computers writing. But we're often sharing ideas, aren't we? Going to each other to get some feedback. How can I make this character better? What can we do here? Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about a few of the famous collaborations. What about、uh, the Inklings? Oh yes, the Inklings are a great example. So the Inklings, for those people who don't know, are a group of writers that involve like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and a, a lot of writers like that. And they would get together at an inn and they would go and have a drink and have a talk about their writing and. They would help each other and come up with ideas, and in fact, the books like *The Magician's Nephew* by C.S. Lewis came about because Tolkien didn't think that C.S. Lewis had put enough thought into his world building. Because Tolkien put years and years into building the world of the Lord of the Rings novels. He wrote histories for it all. He made it as real as possible. He created languages, and he thought C.S. Lewis wasn't really trying when it came to Narnia. So C.S. Lewis wrote an entire book. Because Tolkien encouraged him to go and build his world some more, so that's why、uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe actually is the second book in the series instead of the first book. Yes, but it was written first, so he had to go back and do do an, a, a one before that to, to、uh, satisfy Tolkien. Yes. <laughs> in the music world, you were talking about、um, was it Bach and Beethoven? Were they around the same time? Bach was a little bit earlier, but yes, they were all sort of the same sort of. Time period, and in fact, in the classical time period, there were a lot of musicians that all knew each other, like Mozart and Beethoven. I believe may have known each other, and there are a lot of other people that they would learn from the same. They would learn from each other, like student and teacher, and then would go on to be great musicians themselves. I mean, I believe a relative, possibly the father of Wolfgang Mozart, Leopold Mozart. Was also quite a good musician and very creative in the way he thought about music. The music I know best by Leopold Mozart is his Toy Symphony, which is a symphony of music made up entirely using the sort of sounds that you would hear from clockwork toys from a children's playroom. We tend to think of old things like、uh, older music, older novels, anything that's、uh, stood the test of time to be. Uh, of good quality to be、uh, classic, to be good. Would you agree? I don't think I would. Some books from 
about 100 years ago, whatever, books like Pride and Prejudice or books like that, they still speak to people today and they can be considered as great classics. But there are other books that people still read but I don't think are of great quality. And just because something's old doesn't mean that the writing is great. Just like today, you get some books that are very well written and that probably will last another 100, 200 years as people's favourites. There are also books that are going to be probably read but aren't going to be as great and really wouldn't be considered as great literature. So do you think some books uh, are considered classics by people solely because they're old? I think so. And I think what is considered a classic probably varies from person to person, as in books that are of great quality. I know books that I think of as classics that I don't think are great quality at all, but some people might not agree with me. And I'm thinking of some of the Bronte sisters' books I've read, and to me they don't speak to people nowadays. There is no great feeling of human experience in there. And for me, to, for a book to be a classic and great literature is that it has to speak to people today as well as the people it was written for and in the time period it was written for. It's why people like Jane Austen or Shakespeare are such great authors and have been remembered for so long and are still so well loved is because their writing wasn't just for the people of their time. It's It has some deeper meaning to it. It says something deeper that still talks to people today. It's not just about the story or the time period. It's about experience and a shared human experience. So do you think that uh, there's going to be modern classics, that books that today that we're reading are going to uh, stand the test of time as well and, and uh, are going to be worthy of remembering in years to come? I'm sure there are. There are so many books written all the time. How can you fail to think that, or how could anyone fail to think that there wouldn't be more books of such great quality that will pass on. So there, there, there's a possibility there will be another Shakespeare, even though he, they won't sound like Shakespeare. Exactly. Shakespeare is from one time period. People for, are from another. People keep saying there will never be another Mozart. There will never be another Shakespeare. And in one respect, they are right. There will never be another person who writes music like Mozart. But And there will never be someone who writes plays like Shakespeare. But it doesn't mean there's never going to be another great playwright or another great composer. It's just that things are different now. We look back with sort of the eyes of experience and see what was what is truly great and what really wasn't. But we don't have that same clarity of vision now. So the music we see today, we all think of as pretty mundane. Maybe we think that it's a bit, you know, oh, maybe it's a bit vulgar in some cases. But it doesn't mean that in a 100 years' time other people aren't going to look back with the same vision we have and see what really was great music. When you think about songs, for example, if you go back to probably the, the Elizabethan era, there are a lot of songs that people, in the, especially in the classical music circle, sing now, like especially love songs, that um, are considered to be quite good music and are done for exams and are popular and performed a lot. But what some people fail to realise is that once upon a time, those were the popular songs. They were, th- those people were, you know, the Justin Biebers of those days. And a lot of the songs weren't actually great compositions of the time. I mean, some songs were just a guy wanted to say something to his nice to the girl he loved and he wrote a simple song and played a few chords on his lute and sang it for her and it wasn't made for performance. 
So in some ways, the music back then wasn't even as well written as it is today because today it's, it's produced for performance for people, whereas a lot of, especially Elizabethan songs, were performed for one person. They weren't meant to be, go for this long. Uh, Imogen, perhaps we can just sum up what we've been talking about. How would we encourage creativity in our own families with our own children? Well, there are a few ways you can do that, I think. One would be to be a creative person yourself, so give a good example to your children of creativity, because children learn a lot by the example of their parents. If they're surrounded by creative people in their family, then they're more likely to learn how to be creative themselves. Also, people from outside the family, first, for example, your music, you have some wonderful uh, inspirations in with uh, choirs and music groups and teachers, don't you? Yes, that's right. So a parent can find the right people that will inspire a mentor. Yes. Yes. And to uh, share, if you're uh, creative yourself, to share those creations, not to keep them to yourself. Yes, because after all, what's the point of being creative if you can't share your creation afterwards? I guess maybe some people get a bit frightened of sh- sharing their creations, do you think? I think so. It's, it can be very scary to share something that is creative and really dear to you. But at the same time, when you share it and you find someone who appreciates it, it's one of the greatest things about being a creative person. For example, when I've written a new story and I say, oh, who wants to listen to my story? And then the girls are made to sit down and listen to it, aren't they? Because I'm over, uh, I'm spilling over with enthusiasm. I want to share what I've created. And when they enjoy it and tell me that, it really makes me feel good. And I'm glad I did share it. So valuing other people's creations, is that essential? Yes, a lot of creative ideas get get squashed because people ridicule them and go, oh, that's that's not a good idea, um, that's a silly idea. And people don't even get to the stage of creating something because they're not encouraged. So if you want to raise creative children, you need to encourage them in their creativity and not tell them that ideas are stupid, but to encourage them to, to keep thinking like that and to keep exploring possibilities and follow up these ideas and see for themselves whether they're silly or whether they really do have merit. Because a lot of ideas that might not seem sensible at first or seem like they could work may actually work or lead to something different. Exactly. So how about providing creative environments? That's another great thing I think that um, parents should do for their children is Give them as creative an environment as possible. I mean, there's people who like to surround their children by art and music and literature to provide a whole range of them, not just the classics or not just modern, but a range of both. They might not always enjoy both, but then, but being exposed to all of them gives you a range of ideas coming in, fill that vacuum so that they have something to create with themselves. So that's inspirations, but can we get inspirations from other things which are not necessarily coming under the heading of music, art, and books? Yes, you can get create, you can get ideas from anything. You can pick up creative ideas from going outside and looking at nature, from a science textbook or a maths book if you're really creative. I don't think a lot of people would associate creativity with maths, but yes, there's a lot of maths in nature, isn't there? There is. Okay, and maths, uh, a lot of art inspired from maths? Yes. So maths, really, when you connect it to all those things, is actually quite a creative subject. And the other thing I was thinking of that is we should 
provide opportunities for our children to get together with other creative people. Yeah, that in, is that important? I think so. I mean, I've been lucky that I've had the chance to collaborate with a lot of creative people, especially of my own age, thanks to the internet. I mean, I blog, and through blogging I've met a lot of really creative young writers who are going out and doing wonderful things. And it's really important that if you're creative, you connect with the, with other creative people so that you can share ideas, have people who support you, get the help if you need any help, and just generally have people around you who speak the same language. Right. Well, I've just got one last thing on my list here, and it's computer games. Now, a lot of people wouldn't think that that computer games are very creative. A child sitting in front of the computer playing games, they would say that that's just a a waste of time. It's not a creative activity. And we're not going to talk about that today because Imogen and I want to talk about that in the next podcast because we've got some ideas. Well, Imogen has a lot of ideas. She wants to show us how computer playing can be a very creative activity, even though we don't tend to think of it as such. Well, until next time, where can we find you, Imogen, online? You can find me on my blog, Gossiping with Dragons, or on my Facebook page by the same name. And I'm, of course, at Stories of an Unschooling Family, and um, on Facebook as well, under Sue Elvis Brights. You can subscribe to our podcast through uh, Stories of an Unschooling Family. We're under that umbrella at the moment through iTunes, or you can follow us on Podbean. I hope you've enjoyed this first episode of our new podcast. It's really just an outshoot, which is really just an offshoot of my Stories of an Unschooling Family podcast, which is See How It Goes. So I hope you'll join us next time. And until then, think creatively. 